So welcome to the Laravel IO podcast. My name is Sean McCool, and I'm joined by Ian Landsman, creator, founder of Userscape and HelpSpot, and Snappy Help Desk Software, right? HelpSpot and Snappy. That's right. And uh, Dan Syme, creator of Cardless, who focused on creating framework agnostic developer middleware. So I'm really happy to have you both on today. You're, you're both huge contributors to the community uh, and, and Laravel in general. Ian, you recognized the value of Laravel early in the game, and you ended up hiring Taylor, uh, the, the author of the framework. And he's also, and you've also been funding a lot of uh, the development, maybe even a majority of the development now, right, by, by allowing Taylor to work on it during company time? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say the majority of the development, but... Um we do give him a week each month, and, uh, you know, there's also, like, just today, actually, um, Taylor added something to Laravel uh, that we needed for Snappy. So um, it's kind of a nice symbiotic relationship there where uh, we're building this application, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, he definitely gets a lot of interesting ideas from this kind of real-world experience. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's it's, it's really kind of uh, interesting and cool to work this closely with the creator of the framework so changes get implemented quite quickly which is which is nice and uh and we can kind of kick things around when there's something new that's needed and things like that so it's it's pretty cool so what are your primary justifications for actually paying for open source software to be created yeah so that's interesting like um you know i think when people first hear about it and uh when, especially when we kind of first hired Taylor and um, maybe right around like when version three of Laravel was coming out, when it was really starting to pick up some steam, uh, you know, people like make the equation that's like, oh, you know, it's like rails and 37 signals and it's that kind of thing. But, you know, that's that was like a mo- kind of a moment in time. And that's that's not really the, w- the real world at this point. So, uh, yeah, you know, the number one reason is just because I really love Laravel. I hate you know, working in PHP without it. And we have a lot of stuff at Userscape that still doesn't use it because, you know, we've been around for almost 10 years. So uh, we have back office systems and HelpSpot, which is still our primary product, you know, is not yet on Laravel. So, uh, you know, there's still a lot of old, nasty code we have to touch. But uh, but I just really, you know, I really love using it. And so that's really the primary uh, motivation. And um, And two, I've always wanted to be involved in it. I'm not a good enough developer to make any uh, sizable contribution in terms of actual code. Um, so it's it's kind of cool to be able to give back in this way. And, you know, obviously our whole company is built on PHP and other open source products and libraries and things of that nature. So uh, it's just cool to give back. It's, you know, it's it's not a moneymaker by any means, but it's um, it's pretty cool to be involved in something that's really popular like this and, you know, we have a lot of fun doing the conferences and doing podcasts like this and uh, just getting to kind of participate in the larger open source community. So, you know, that's really, really the main motivation. And, uh, you know, and it's great to work with, you know, great people like Taylor and uh, and Eric, who works with us, has had a lot of success now in you know, doing things in Laravel with his wardrobe blog application. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of cool to to see and and be a part of, um, you know, this, this kind of renaissance of PHP. So it's, it's really, really cool and fun. Yeah, that, that is cool. I'm really enjoying, you know, just being a player in the whole new PHP thing. Just, yeah. well, you know, anybody 
getting in there and digging and open source stuff now is having a blast, I think. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like any old time PHP people, like you're involved in it now. And it's like, I mean, it's a totally different world. I mean, I remember, you know, digging around on phpclasses.org or com or whatever it was and like trying to find some tidbit of code you could like reuse and there was no centralized anything and, you know, there was no, you know, back when I really started, there wasn't even frameworks. Um, so there was no frameworks. There was no help. You just, you know, slapped a bunch of PHP in a file and called it a day and kind of waded your way through it. So uh, it's really amazing to see what you can do now in just a few hours. I mean, HelpSpot version 1 I could have built in two weeks, you know, with Laravel 4 yeah. when it took me six months the first time. So uh, it's really amazing to see how things have progressed. Yeah, Dan, so probably not a lot of our listeners know about Ben Corlett, but um, probably most people are familiar with Carlos in general. But I know I know Ben specifically has been a pretty large contributor to the framework as he's been working on the arsenal. Uh, I know that the uh, Cardless arsenal is a, a collection of middleware, but it, it's framework agnostic, so you can use it in different frameworks, and Laravel is just one of them. But during the development of these tools, uh, he submitted a lot of bug fixes and and various types of improvements to to Laravel, both three and four. Um, so I'm I'm personally very interested in your business, Dan. I I think middleware is a really cool market because you can kind of write to your peers and sort of live up to ideals. And you know maybe you're an idealistic person. I don't know. You tell me. And but I think when you're writing middleware, you're you're kind of getting the chance to make the world a little bit better of a place. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your business and and what it's like building a business out of uh, Targeting developers? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we started out as a business model not going into this whole thing with developing middleware. Um, we knew we wanted to create a new e-commerce platform because we all come from e-commerce. You know, we grew up on Zen, um, OS Commerce, um, and uh, Magento, and a lot of those shopping carts. And uh, about three years ago, you know, I went to my partner and I said, hey, you know, why don't we find a framework. Um, we do client sites on different frameworks like Code Nighter, uh, but why don't we create our own e-commerce platform? Uh, try to get something out there that's a little bit more developer-centric. Um, and that just kind of evolved into this, you know, that first idea, okay, we need to find a framework. Um, so we started off in Code Nighter, and we went to Fuel, and then Laravel came out, and that was a, just a huge boat, um, boost for us because we switched over. Things were just more elegant. Um, it just uh, it really lended us an opportunity to get on the ground for, floor of something as well. Um, so we continued on that path of creating an e-commerce platform. And it, it turned out that since we wanted everything to be so developer-centric that we started to create um, this platform that really based on, um, I think at the time it was bundles um, with Laravel 3, didn't really require you to, you know, make everything specific to an e-commerce platform. You could develop a lot of bundles that did um, one thing and do it really, really well. Um, and then when Laravel 4 came out and Composer came into the picture, man, that just, like, blew our minds. And that allowed us to create things like, um, you know, Century 2, which adopted that framework agnostic mentality. And, you know, we primarily primarily develop everything on um, Laravel, but that whole framework agnostic way of doing things has just been really great for us. Uh, so, yeah, 
from there, we just started creating packages, um, framework agnostic packages that um, do like one thing very well. We have like nested sets, which handle hierarchical data sets. Um, Sentry, which is our open source contribution that's free to everyone, um, handles authorization and authentication. Um, and our e-commerce platform is still there, but it's kind of been pushed out into the future where we're um, working on it, but we're really focusing on the infrastructure and kind of uh, almost crowdfunding the development of Carlist with, um, you know, our arsenal of packages uh, and extensions that do that middleware, middleware thing, like uh, user management and, uh, you know, menu management, things like that. Uh, so that's essentially what our business model is. Um, and that's kind of the route that we've been taking. So how, okay, both of you seem to me like people who who hire well. Like I've met your developers and, you know, I'm, Fairly impressed, and I'm I'm kind of curious. How do you approach scouting talent? Yeah, uh, well, for me, I'm, I'll, I'll just jump in and go first. <laughs> you know, I uh, I've done a fair amount of hiring in my sort of previous lives, um, but actually, uh, I we hired Eric and Taylor at basically the same exact time, and uh, you know. We, uh, I'd like to say it was entirely just, you know, we dug through millions of people and it was really intense, but honestly, uh, you know, Eric was recommended to us and, you know, he just seemed like a really good fit. And then actually, uh, sort of interesting side story is that through Eric's GitHub, uh, you know, repos, I found Laravel that he had forked and was playing with. And that's how I actually found Taylor. Um, and then I just approached Taylor because, I figured anybody who built something that was this cool, you know, would probably be a pretty good developer. And uh, he's also turned out to be a really great just like cultural fit and, uh, you know, a really great addition to the team beyond his obvious uh, development skills. But, uh, yeah, I think that at least for me, um, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, it's it's about the tools. And I know there's a lot of, you know, the skills and there's a lot of people out there who would, say that's the only important aspect, but especially when you're really small or you're bootstrapped or you're, you know, two, three, four, five people, um, I think that the kind of cultural aspects are almost equally important to the actual technical skills because when you're trying to develop a product, you know, customers don't really care about the technical aspects of it and, you know, better code um, has does give you an advantage, but it's definitely not the only aspect or even necessarily the most important aspect, you know, when you're trying to build a product and everything that entails with marketing and customer support and um, all the other aspects to it. So uh, I do think that, you know, a little bit of advice would definitely be to always keep that kind of cultural aspect in mind. Now, can I jump in there for a second? When sure. when you're talking about cultural aspect and you're talking about like kind of like the holistic approach, like taking into mm -hmm. consideration the business and everything, like really, how would you define somebody who who's a good fit? Um, so if you're a developer and you know you're trying to be, you know, you're professional and you're seeking to pursue your profession and to mm -hmm. you know rise up the ladder, not necessarily of just you know job positions, but you you want to be really good at what you do. What does it mean to step away from in improving when it comes to working on the code? What skills does it take um, to kind of be that person that you want to hire? Yeah, so uh, I can give you some examples. So uh, definitely anything that brings you out of your kind of pure comfort zone of slapping down code 
uh, all that stuff is really good. Um, and nowadays, obviously, there's so many things online. Like the first thing everybody's going to do is search online and see what you're up to. So you want to, you know, be out there. I think it's the first thing and make yourself findable. Put put stuff up on GitHub and all those kind of things that are you know becoming fairly standard. But I mean, we've you know even gotten resumes recently from developers who don't, you know, they're not on Bitbucket, they're not on GitHub. You know, they're just kind of, they're not out there at all. And so, you know, that person's a little bit harder to hire just right off the bat because you can't just take a look and get a feel for them, even code-wise up front. Um, but then, uh, you know, for instance, Eric, you know, has uh, some entrepreneurial background where he had his own business. That's a great thing. That might be, you know, not everybody can just start their own business or wants to start their own business, but, you know, that's something to highlight. Um, in Taylor's case, just a simple little thing, like I really loved the Laravel documentation. Like I was able to get up and running with Laravel instantly. So I'd been actually going through different frameworks at the time, um, separate kind of from the hiring process and seeing how horrible the documentation was in most of them and or, or just purely non-existent. And oh, to have this. <laughs> I was going to leave the name out, but OK. So. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, so then you find this framework and it's like, OK, it looks kind of cool and but there's more than just code examples it was like really well thought out and you know pretty completely documented um well written uh so just to even get that sense of somebody who took the time the care to like not just put the code part together which is the fun cool part everybody wants to do but to do the kind of boring part of all right i'm gonna sit here and write out pages and pages of documentation and examples and i'm gonna do it well it's not just gonna be a 200 slapped together examples with, you know, a half a line of text kind of gluing them together, but it's going to be thought out and logical. Um, you know, that was something that right away caught my eye as, uh, you know, that this person had more to them than just being, you know, a really good programmer, that there was, you know, more there. And especially, again, in a, in a small business, you know, you're going to be asked to do things other than program almost always. So, you know, you're writing blog posts or you're writing documentation on the product. Or, you know, you're doing customer service, um, or you're, you know, you're working directly with customers on problems they're having with the software. So, you know, you need to, as much as you can, try to find ways to show those other sides of yourself. Um, and, you know, I think open source is still a great way to do that. You know, write a great readme for your little open source library. Like, that's a huge thing that somebody's going to notice. That's yeah. a huge thing. You know, for us, when we, um, hired Ben and, uh, and Bruno, we, I've gone through the route of hiring people through agencies, and that's just kind of horrible. Um, I've gone yeah. the route of accepting resumes, and that's horrible. Doing interviews, you know, just right. I've never hired somebody through an interview process where I just put out an ad or went and looked for somebody that was looking for work. I've always gone to the place that I am interested in hiring about. So for like Ben and uh, Bruno Gaspar, who's another one of our developers, who's just great, wonderful guy, a hard worker. It was about, you know, going into the IRC, looking at the people that were involved and looking at what they're doing, seeing how they wrote their code on GitHub, um, how they interacted with other people. Uh, and every person that I've hired from there has always has turned, you know, they're still with us today. So are Bruno and Ben both off-site developers? Yeah, definitely. Um, we have one... Guy Jared West, who's uh, our um, front-end developer JavaScript guy, he's here in the office with me. And then um, Ben is out in Australia, and Bruno is in Portugal. 
Yeah, I, okay, so I've I've met Bruno a couple times, but I never really got a chance to talk to him. Um, I didn't remember that he was in Portugal, because a friend of mine uh, is also from Portugal, so we kind of got those guys together. But um, what do you find when, because Australia, that's, you know, a lot of time zones away from from where you are in the United States, right? So yeah. how, how do you deal with the, the difference? It's tough. But, um, again, it kind of depends on the person that you're working with. You know, people that have a strong work ethic, you can pretty much, you know, meet for an hour and talk about what you're going to do for the day and, you know, feel confident that the next day when you come back, it's going to be done or where there's progress going to be made. Um, so, yeah, telecommuting is, is pretty difficult, but I've honestly found people who telecommute seem to be – it, it it's – Kind of sketchy, but I guess maybe because every person I've hired that's telecommuted has always worked out very well, which is Bruno and Ben. So, um, but it's been kind of a great experience for me, and I don't know if it's because they're more relaxed and they have strong work ethics, but um, it's I don't really have a comparison of you know to to compare to of someone who didn't work telecommute. Yeah, so um, with my company, it's just my designer and I, and we I'm in the Netherlands and he's in the United States. And so we basically meet once a day up around, you know, four or five o'clock my time, which is probably like 9am his time. Yeah. And we just yeah. have like a kind of what would be equivalent of a stand up meeting. And then we just go and we only really talk for any significant amount of time. And we have to do things like spec out a new project or, or something like that. And, uh, you know, I, I feel it's like interesting because Working off site has kind of forced me to manage my projects more. Like where previously I would just sit down and be talking back and forth across the seats like all day. Uh, now I'm, you know, completely separated from the guy and I can't get a hold of him if I wanted to because I'd be waking him up or whatever. And, uh, so, you know, we have to kind of have our story in some kind of format. So like we kind of do that with online with like task management software and whatnot. But, uh, it's worked out pretty well for us. We use HipChat, and uh, you know, I, you know, I a confession on Bruno is Bruno's, um, he actually enjoys working nights, so it kind of works out nice for us. Uh, he like starts work around six p.m. his time, and then works until like three or four in the morning, which I find crazy, but he does it and <laughs> enjoys it. So I'm not going to complain. <laughs> so yeah, that's nice for you. He, he's around while you're working. Yeah. Um, I would say the most difficult part of telecommute is the fact that those stand-up meetings that you can have in person in front of a whiteboard are so much easier. Uh, we try so many different methods of, you know, doing a video chat with the laptop precariously placed in the spot that looks at the whiteboard and then, you know, stand up in front of it and talk. And it's worked somewhat well, but it's not the same as having someone in the office that you can directly, you know, face-to-face -face and talk and scope out a project. So. It tends, you know, scoping projects tends to go a little bit uh, slower, but um, it's the price you pay for telecommuting, I guess. Yeah, I think we've we've kind of found the same thing. There's like initially getting something kind of rolling can be a little bit trickier, and there's a lot of like typing because you're just chatting or whatever. But once everybody's kind of, you know, rolling, then uh, you know, for the most part, it's been fine. We're all we all telecommute as well, so we're not the distances you guys do. Everybody's within one time zone of each other, so it's it's not it's not bad at all. It's offsite uh, though. Yeah, everybody's yeah, everybody I mean everybody works at Userscape. So me and my wife work at Userscape and then so we're in New York and then everybody else is in the south uh you know, the United States states uh, southeast, so in North Carolina and Virginia or North Carolina, Tennessee and Arkansas. So 
Um, yeah, so I mean, eating they're all cakes and pies. Little, right, they're eating cakes and pies. Barnesism. So uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, it's uh, so they're all off site, and yeah, we use hip chat, and we've done a little bit of the whiteboard in front of a wall with the computer kind of thing, and it's been okay. Just done that a couple times, but uh, yeah. yeah, overall, I'd say you when we first were hiring and expanding, I was a little bit worried about that. We were actually gonna um, just build out a bigger office here in New York and uh, and have people move here, but it just seemed like I don't know. Once we started really diving in and finding people um you know it just seemed like it just made sense to let everybody work from home like i mean i, I don't i don't think either of the guys who work here now in terms of developers would would probably have moved um and you know even if they did it's like you're relocating people it's a whole bunch of hassle involved in that and it's just it's not really uh that much of a downside to not have them around and there's you know so many upsides to people you know just being home and comfortable and can work a little bit at their own pace and less distractions and all those things. Yeah. I know for me being able to, to work for a while and then get up and just take a walk or go right. somewhere for an infinite amount of time, whatever it takes for me to get back into like the mindset is, is fantastic. I, I, there's been a couple articles that we've been tossing back and forth where people are talking about, you know, how so much of like a, a developer who's working at like a large company, so much of their time is spent fake working and right. looking up stuff yeah. on Reddit and cat pictures, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, it, it seems like, you know, I mean, I don't think people really want to spend all their time doing that in the first place. It's just, this is what they have to do to give their brain a break. Yeah. So I, uh, I mean, I also think there's a place for those brain breaks. It's like, and I think that that's one of the things I almost find is like an upside, like in the sense of like, you know, if you just need a break and you just want to read this article that came across you on Twitter, like, you can just read it and nobody's, like, walking by your queue being, like, what are you doing? And, you know, you know what I mean? Like, there's all those kind of aspects to things, too, where, like, yeah, I was just taking 10 minutes to, like, reset myself and it's no big deal. But, you know, in an office environment, it, it kind of can be a big deal. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, not that we would... Again, it's a little tricky. Would we make it a big deal in our office? Probably not. But at the same time, there's just those kind of social pressures when you're all together, you know, that can sometimes be negative where it's, you know, it's just much more, uh, you know, freeing if you're just on your own and then you're just, you know, communicating kind of as needed and as you go throughout the day. Now, how how much um, would you say your developers have a say in, you know, how the product turns out? Like how flat would you say your, your decision-making structure is for for your product? Uh, well, for us, um, you know, so we all came into it and we started um, building, we started working on a few other things early on with them. And then we decided we were going to, you know, move forward with with a brand new product with Snappy. And so that's kind of an interesting process because, you know, I have like all the domain knowledge. Um, neither Eric or Taylor's really, you know, worked in customer service before. So there was a lot of just like me building wiki pages of information and things like that and and then just building up the product to the baseline of everything that needs to be done. And so in terms of that kind of large scope of it, and that tended to be more my area of it. Um, but when you get down into like the details of, of everything, that's, you know, that's all those guys in terms of like the technical aspects of it. And then, uh, and now I think we're starting to get to this good place where it's um, easier as we move forward to, 
for everybody to kind of have opinions. Those guys are up to speed on what is required in terms of running a help desk and customer service and all those things. And they're doing it as well. So they're getting to see that, get that like firsthand knowledge of, you know, things that would make it easier and, and those kind of things. So, um, you know, it's definitely moving much more in that direction for us. And, you know, in terms of the actual structure of the organization, you know, it's definitely, I don't see us anytime soon not being completely flat, um, you know, other than, I guess, me. <laughs> but it's like me and then everybody, you know, I don't see us having a lot of managers and, you know, all those kind of things, middle people, because um, I just think it's nicer to have a much flatter organization. And I think you can run with that for quite a while. Um, probably there's a certain point where maybe it doesn't work. Although more and more now you see, like, the GitHubs and, you know, Valve and those guys who are flat even with hundreds of people. So um, maybe it it can even go bigger. So that'll be kind of interesting if we ever get that big, but it's not, not really a goal of mine actually to get that big. Um, so I guess we'll see. Yeah. For us, we we're pretty much completely collaborative. I'll come up with a user story for a package for an extension that we want to build and I'll just type it up in Google docs and I'll write a quick user story about the features and what it's supposed to do. And then we all get up on that Google doc and we get on the phone or Skype and we talk about it. And um, I would say as far as the decision-making on the, how things are coded, I've kind of taken a backseat to that uh, a lot recently. As long, you know, I still have that decision of saying, like, no, we need to do it this way or I, I really wanted this feature to be in. Um, but most of these guys can handle themselves. You know, they'll take the scope and come up with great ideas. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they come up with stuff I didn't even think about. So um, I would say our developers pretty much have a big say in how the end product turns out. Based on Ben's talk at Laricon, uh, where he kept asking people to basically question him so he could, you know, kind of try to learn from that and, and kind of grow as an individual. It really seems like he's the kind of guy who can take some, uh, you know, criticism or take some, you know, recommendations or suggestions without being affected, you know, negatively. Yeah, I think so. I think he's um, always pretty open. Uh, yeah, I have a big thing here where we say, you know, one of the biggest problems with developers is they feel inadequate. They don't want to ask questions or um, dive in and learn new things or they're hesitant because they don't know if they're going to do it the right way. And you see that in a lot of developers in the forums and, and different open source projects where, you know, the, the biggest things here is just dive in, build and create, you know, uh, it's it's it's. It's you got to have that. Um, you got to get past that. I think they call it like imposter syndrome or something like yeah, that, where you, you feel yeah. Um, and you just got to get past that and over and not be afraid to ask those questions, even though you might be wrong. Um, so um, that's something I've said a couple times here, and I, I don't know if you took anything from that, but he's always been that type of guy where um, he asks me questions, you know, it's all the time in regards to you know why don't we do it like this or how can we don't do it like this or should we do it like that and those always end up being like, yeah, you're right. I, wouldn't, I didn't even think about that. Let's uh, let's do it that way. It's smarter. So, Dan, have, have you, like from a business perspective, run into any, like, challenges lately that have kind of been, you know, tough to deal with that you're willing to talk about? Profitability. <laughs> is, is that, like, an um, ongoing problem? Yeah. I mean, we're continuing the trend, and, and um, you know, we, we started out where we were – um, funded uh, through my partner Al, who's a, a really great guy, and he really believes in the products that we're building. Um, and then we started doing client work, and uh, 
we um you know we're using that to fund and, and now we're kind of switching over where we're starting to get enough subscribers that's helping sustain some of our payroll um and the cost of development which is you know just to keep things going is a lot um especially when you're so far away from an actual end product so I think in the last month, we've all kind of gotten together and said, okay, solvency is a very important thing to us. Um, let's really pitch this message about, you know, we have 50 packages uh, in our arsenal um, that you can sign up for a subscription, and we're going to say that's the way that you contribute to having the Carlist e-commerce platform come out, kind of like a, a spin on crowdfunding where you actually get an immediate return um, for, you know, your investment into the project. Um I think that's the biggest challenge, just getting, uh, uh, keeping things going and just, you know, surviving. And uh, I think everyone deals with that. Yeah, so that brings up a couple questions um, in my mind. So it seems like to develop this platform, it's it's quite a long-term project, right? It's not like something that, you know, you have a handful of packages and they all come together and, you know, you're done in a year. It seems like you guys have been working on this for a while and you're engineering something that's kind of pretty large, right? Yeah, you know, our our goal has always been to create our infrastructure first. And a lot of our delays a little bit end up being with the, you know, we started on CodeNighter, then we switched to Fuel, and then Laravel came out, and then Laravel 4, which is, you know, changed things. And now that we got Laravel 4 and Composer, everything's starting to feel really good. Um, so, now we're starting to make a lot more progress with um, a lot of our packages and, and platform, and we've already just started our e-commerce extensions with cart and conditions and attributes. And so we're actually feeling like we're starting to make progress on the actual product that we originally set out to build. Um, but, you know, that whole process, you know, I don't regret at all because it brought us to the point that we are at now. And we've found a way that, you know, through Composer and Laravel 4 and um, using all of these different packages that that's the way that you want it to be as a developer, that you can include this package and use it um, for your platform and application. And you have all your dependencies and um, versions and everything like that, and your migrations handled for you. So, um, yeah, it's definitely kind of switched over from that we're just creating a, an e-commerce platform where we set out and we have, these very specific features for an e-commerce system and then we build it. Um, we definitely have taken the time to say, let's build all of these pieces separately, make sure that they're framework agnostic and they can work everywhere. And then let's build a tool that brings them all together and you can add and remove all these different components and modules um, to create any type of application. Uh, and that's probably the biggest thing that people, because of our name, Carlist, don't understand is that our package packages can be combined to create anything. So you can create a content management system um, if you just want that, or you can just use users and our API and you can just create a really nice API for user management that you, um, um, can use with Sentry and, and, um, feed out for different projects. Um, so do you have like a education, uh, situ situation where you like go out and teach people how to use, uh, your tools to kind of, you know, create clients, create customers? Yeah, not yet. It's something that, you know, even documentation, we say we always like to say, you know, documentation is most important, but, but the man part of that we have, it's just, it gets really tough. Um, but we, you know, going forward, I think now that we have a lot of our infrastructure in place and a lot of our packages available, it's starting to get to the point that we aren't worried about 
20 different things that we have to create. We're now just kind of down to one or two things that we need to create for this quarter. And we can go back through and start documenting and, and really start doing tutorials and screencasts and things like that. Um, but no, definitely no plans for education where people can go out and, um, and we can teach them how to use the system. It's a good idea, though. It seems to me that if you can kind of make things very accessible, almost make them like so that the user kind of comes to your wherever and the knowledge is fed into their brain, it seems to me that that is a, is a way that you can really get people like to rely on you. I actually even built my business that, I, that I'm currently, I've been running for like a little over two years off of CodeIgniter tutorials, honestly, on my blog. <laughs> I had a website and just I wrote a bunch of CodeIgniter tutorials and uh, I started getting requests to make apps and so I was like uh, maybe I'll just kind of cut back to 20 hours a week at my job and start making apps for people and uh, you know over time it's just it's kind of like a side note ramble I, I started my business with my partner because we wanted to make our own apps and to own those ourselves and kind of have passive income coming in and try to solve some problems that we had with whatever apps are out there in the same market Mm-hmm. What we ended up doing is spending years just turning over client work because we couldn't figure out really exactly how to uh, have that income that could sustain us to make something that wasn't immediately going to be profitable. Right. And so I think about two and a half years, almost three years into the whole process, where finally we finally figured out how to function as a, a you know as a agency that turns over client work. And now, you know, we, we've kind of found this sweet spot where we can start working on our own stuff again. So I, I think that there's like, at least for us, this time where you, you know, like programmers, we're, we're a programmer, a designer, and we had to figure out how to run a business because, you know, I'm not a, a business major or any anything even close. And so it, it took us a while to figure all that stuff out and not, not just to figure it out, but to build the clients and to... You know, make a name for ourselves so that we could get, you know, work that was a little bit more uh, targeted to our strengths and less just happen to come in. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, we spend so long with one goal and it takes years just to even start to realize that. And and client work, at the end of the day, it's, it's what's sustaining everything that we're doing. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you're not, if you don't have, if you're not building, if you're not a startup and you don't have, you know, those millions of dollars, however they get that funding for that specific service or application that you're building, client works the heartbeat of your company. I mean, you got to continually turn it over, and the more that you turn it over to remain profitable and make your living, not the less time that you have to focus on your your internal goals. I think any startup or business deals with that quite a bit. How do you manage that? I guess just becoming a better team. Well, too, especially nowadays where like um, having that like really good baseline of income is so important if you're going to start your own business because most of the apps that you're probably going to build if your goal is to make apps, you know, are going to be SaaS apps if you're talking about web development. And, you know, that's a lot different than um, like when I started HelpSpot because we started HelpSpot and the average sale of HelpSpot is $1,000. So, you know, the first month we made $4,000 or something like that. And like the next month we made eight. 
And so it was like, oh, wow, $8,000. Like that was more, you know, way more than I made in a month at my job. And so it was a lot of upfront money, which kind of then can propel you forward. Um, but with the SaaS app, even with Snappy, you know, you could see it's like, you know, over the course of a year, you might make that same amount of money on a same size sale, but you don't get all that money up front, generally speaking. So, you know, it's here's a hundred dollars. Okay. You know, and here's a hundred dollars. That's fine. But you know, you're not going to get 4,000 or 8,000 all at once. Um, so you kind of need to have that baseline so that you can, you know, afford to live and, and keep building the product and making it better while you transition, um, you know, over the course of a couple of years and you build up you know, the application base um, to something that, yeah, once it's, you know, $10,000 a month or $20,000 a month, $30,000 a month, okay, now it's self-sustaining and you can hire people with that type of money and, you know, you can go go forward with that. But there is like a longer ramp up time now, I think, than in the past, actually, because um, you're generally not getting as much upfront money as you might have in the past with on-premise applications that, that you were building. Yeah, that's how we feel. <laughs> you know, any, any type of SaaS service that's subscription-based, you're always waiting for that next uh, cycle. Um, right. You know, we charge like quarterly upfront, so um, basically equates to about twenty dollars a month per developer, uh, and we charge for quarter. So you, you know, out of the box for our subscription arsenal, you it's sixty dollars. But then you have to wait another three months to get that next sixty dollars if they like what you have. Um, but it's always building on top of each other, too, as long as your attrition rate isn't very high or your cancellation rate isn't very high. Um, and ours has been pretty low. So it's it's the fun part of that is that you get to see it grow um, and not kind of worried about selling one thing. Like right now we're confident that, okay, well, this whole subscription thing and our our subscribers are working. They're staying subscribed and um, they're using our stuff on a daily basis. So we can kind of say that, if somebody subscribes, you're going to be with us for a little while. Um, and so we're, always, you know, you wait till that next quarter comes along and, and your, your subscription count is just climbing and climbing and climbing. So, um, maybe not always as fast as you want it to be, but it's definitely more, I guess, um, secure in feeling that you, you know, you have those subscriptions always coming back because like what you're talking about with selling your application one time, or right. I don't know if it was one time or if it was, you know, once a year, right. um, but for that high dollar amount, um, well, if somebody else comes out with something better, you know, do those go away? You know, you got to yeah. keep selling, selling. Right. No, you do always have that. Even now, I still have that fear. <laughs> the new month <laughs> rolls around. I'm like, oh, man, this is the month that nobody's going to buy Health Spot again. I just know it. But, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't turn out that way, luckily. But, yeah, it's uh, yeah, that is definitely a lot of – it does level out the risk in that way. That, uh, you know, so you wait a little longer for it, but then at the same time, it's definitely – assuming you don't, you know, have a huge implosion of some type, it's theoretically at least, you know, should be much more stable um, and predictable, which yeah. is why everybody likes it. <laughs> That's made things easier for everybody. I mean, it's it always used to be that you had a bunch of different applications that you paid one time for and you put them all together. Or in the open source world, you know, you're always trying to find um, your form software and your CMS software and put them all together and you, you'd have to integrate them um, to get right. it to work but now um, nowadays everything's kind of going to that SaaS model or that past model so now as a company you're, you're finding that you have maybe a lower end but you have a um, a longer sustainability and once you get hooked on those on those subscriptions you, and you enjoy them you know you kind of stay a part of that uh, so you know you have like for us we have 
you know, we pay for our GitHub private repositories, pay for our deployment software, which is a subscription, our help ticket software, which is a monthly subscription. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's where everything's kind of going. Yeah. I, I have so many SaaS subscriptions, I don't even know how many. It's, it's <laughs> like dozens, literally. Like, it's, it's crazy, but that is where it's going. What about you, Sean? When are you guys going to hire your uh, third person? Well, we brought somebody on for a little bit, but that didn't really work out. Mm. And then, uh, so when I, <laughs> I actually went through the whole, hey, everybody on Twitter, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm looking for a developer, submit a resume. And right. um, it was actually, the turnout was pretty good. And there, I think, were a number of, you know, very strong developers. And um, we kind of ended up in a situation where, you know, uh, uh, circumstances that we couldn't have predicted made somebody's life a little bit harder than, you know, necessarily we mm. thought it was going to be. So it didn't really work out. But by the time that was all over, see, I, I didn't know anybody in the Netherlands, um, at that point in time. So I was kind of just like, I don't know any developers, kind of, you know, you know what am I right. going to do? But now, um, I've been in, in the community and, you know, we kind of built a Laravel community here and I've met some really great developers. So we kind of have a third guy who is not really like on our team, but he has his own little like one man freelancing company mm-hmm. and we just use him all the time. And he he's the kind of guy who is really interested in, you know, just like growing and he takes criticism really well and it's just in general he's just like a really good fit for us and so we just kind of keep going with him and uh, honestly i i think it's really difficult when you have such a small team it's just like me and my designer and we very much are like masters of our own domain i haven't (laughs) used css in like five years since i started working with this guy Um, and i don't remember anything and i'm so thankful for this and um you know he handles all of that and he's very technical you know he has all these build tools and he you know he runs linux and he uses dvorak keyboard and he's like a a really smart really technical guy but he's he's like a great designer and i I really respect him and we kind of divide up our roles so that in the end of the day it's like the product is is a product he created he designed it but you know we talk through our vision and we talk through everything together and I design all of the the system stuff first of all. I, I have I have kind of a, like a Linux systems background, and I deal with all that. Then I do the server side stuff, and I choose the technologies there and everything. And I handle all of that. And um, together we basically end up making applications that are kind of unified in, in vision, and and we're a really good team in that way. Um, so like bringing somebody on. I, I really discovered it, it's it's very difficult because we we rely on that um, cooperation to even have a business at all. Um, you know, without that, you know, without having worked together for so long, I don't know that we would be even effective in turning over <clears throat> the quality of work that you know we kind of defines our price point. If that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, no, it does. And so, um, finally, um, meeting developers locally and working with them and coming to, you know, know them, that, that's given me the opportunity to find people that I want to work with where just randomly calling out to other people doesn't seem to, you know, it, it, it's, 
it's impossible, it feels like, to just say, hey, come, everybody who's looking for a job, come talk to me. It just <laughs> doesn't even, it makes sense now, you know? I have to go and scout people, and then if if they're not in a place where they can work with me, like they're happy with their jobs, or, you know, maybe they have a, they just had a kid or something like that, and they don't feel like taking a risk on a small company situation. Yeah. Then it, it's it's tough and like so there's really a very limited pool to pull from. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely a big believer that like most of the really great people already have jobs, so it's a little bit when you, you know you just kind of ask for resumes, you, it definitely is a mixed bag uh, at best, and then it's just a lot of work to go through there too. And, and with consulting too, it's kind of different because you always, it's a little bit more variable, um, you know, and so you know. Um, you got to be careful there. Obviously, you don't want to overcommit to to people, and then you have a lull in uh, in work or whatever, and you know that that's not always great. It's hard so, too uh, when you're like, yeah, I don't know exactly how much time I can promise you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just a, it's a it's a really strange situation. And, uh, my personal goal is to not ha- to have as few people involved as possible. Uh, because, you know, obviously it adds a lot of overhead and who wants to deal with the overhead? I don't want to become a project manager full time. I mean, that's right. just not what I want to do. And so people who, you know, like you said, have that like entrepreneurial experience who can, you know, you can kind of interact with them, do some discovery with a client, kind of give them direct access to the client, you know, know that the client's going to feel like they've been taken care of and the product's done. That's, that's worth his weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't want to have to tell somebody, you know, what to what to do, what to make. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's uh, it's tricky to find those people. Yeah. Um. What's interesting is this this crew we kind of built out here. We're all working on something kind of special right now. Uh oh. Um. We're rebuilding the Laravel IO site. It's a it's a community portal right now, and what it basically is is um. A buddy and I kind of got a wild hair to to make a site with a bunch of Laravel screencasts and tutorials and kind of do a study guide type thing where, like, every week we would go through a, a part of the source or something like that. Mm. And it kind of, you know, evolved into this thing where we're, we're hosting the forums now and we are we have a wiki and, you know, our IRC has chat logs that are searchable. Somebody made um, a... MongoDB type app, and you can just go in there. Like, if you go to Laravel.io and just click chat or whatever the hell the link is, I don't know. And, like, right there, you can join the chat. But in in that page, you can actually review logs and search through the history. Uh, Yeah. I didn't even know about that. That's a good one. (laughs) That's useful. Yeah, and um, so so it's it's, it's a lot of really cool stuff, but we've been wanting to re-envision it for a long time and i've tried uh like at laricon us in february uh i showed taylor some of the work we were doing where we had indexed a bunch of stuff with elastic search and we were doing this real-time faceted search results so you had this unified laravel search system and it returned mm-hmm. blogs and api and docs and everything and just the workload was just too much and i couldn't keep up with it and so all that stuff is basically just thrown away code at this point. But mm. um, at Laricon EU, uh, the staff got together, and you know, I had, when everybody's out partying and and whatnot, we were exhausted. Uh, you know, our our recording staff have been on their feet all day, uh, recording from multiple angles, and 
you know, everybody was just tired. And so we went back to the loft that we rented for, for the staff and we decided just to sit down and just do a hackathon. And we were like, what should we code? Let's make that new Laravel IO site. So turns out that the Wi-Fi was dead, so we didn't get anywhere. <laughs> but um, we kind of sketched out what we wanted it to be. And now that we have five people working on it, it's me, Nick Spelt, uh, Dries Fintz, Mitchell Fun, Weinharde, and Justin Sider. And basically, we ha- everybody's actually like working on it now. So it's not just like me anymore. It's it's like a whole group of people. And so when you see somebody go in and say, hey, look what I just built, you're like all of a sudden motivated to go do more on your part. And um, so I think that we will be ready for launch within the next couple of weeks. And the interesting thing about this is it's going to replace the Laravel paste bin. It's going to replace just the current I.O. site with all of its articles. And we're also doing away with the Laravel forums. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a big deal, and it it was not a decision that we came to lightly. But we have Taylor's blessing, and right. we're basically we're just going to lock the forums down, and and just keep them there for, you know, forever. Basically, Posterity. we don't want to yeah we don't want to lose all of the knowledge that has been, you know, entered into that system. But we create our own forums, and we have our own uh, new paste bin, and we have our own article system, and everything is behind a single sign in. Mm. And you sign in through authenticating through GitHub. So you don't actually have to do anything to have an account. You just go log into GitHub. And if you're already logged into GitHub, it, it just says authorize and then you're in and you have access to everything. Yeah. And you can store your pace long term. You can um, post to the forum. And in addition, people can post their own articles and they don't have to have us curate the articles or approve them or anything. You can essentially, if you want to, make your own Laravel blog on the new Laravel IO just by, you know, going to your username on the, on the site. So all your posts are aggregated there. And then the community can, you know, determine the quality of the post and the, the higher quality stuff rate rises to the top. And, uh, so that's kind of where we are now. And, and I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be a, a really interesting system. And I'm not sure. But it might be the most ambitious framework community project I've seen. Yeah, there's not a lot of, you know, in terms of a unified kind of community setup, there's definitely not. I think uh, Taylor told me a little bit about this uh, earlier today, actually, and um, I was like, they should sell that. (laughs) Or they should do something with that because, like, every open source, you know, every kind of sizable open source project out there, it sounds kind of useful. Well, the, kind of the cool thing about it is it's all written in Laravel 4, and the whole site's open source. So, like, ah, there you go. what we have right now is right now available on GitHub. So awesome. the idea is we're trying to use, you know, just like the, the Laravel best practices, PHP best practices, build the site. So not only is the site for, you know, people to come and, and get help and learn more, they can actually turn to the site as an example of a fairly, like, it's, it's not a trivial application. It's, it's absolutely yeah. not. So you can see how, you know, we built this application on Laravel 4, and, you know, we use everything from, uh, you, know, all, you know, all kinds of stuff. I don't, even, I don't even know where to start, but I, I've specifically created packages on packages just so that I could use them in this app, uh, mm-hmm. distilling, distilling code I, I've made on other projects uh, and, and bringing them over. So... I mean, it, it's a really cool project, and uh, we have a really good team, and it, I'm I'm really excited to have you know people get in and 
make articles and have the site because the current site is just all it's all me moderating everything because there's not even an admin. It's like yeah. if you want to make a post, send me a markdown file and I'll and I'll <laughs> add it to the database manually because like we went yeah. lean as possibly could sure. could be. Um, but now, like, I'm not in the way of anything. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, we yeah. have uh, multiple people administrating the the repo. So I don't. I'm not the the hold up on pull requests. I'm not the hold up hold up on article posts or anything. And um, we have a lot of really interesting stuff planned uh, with like curating p- pastes. Like pastes can have comments, and you know they can be forked and everything. But they can be cur- curated so that they um you know, are kind of stored and tagged in, in their own system. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of uh, really interesting stuff. Like the goal is to take all of this content that's just being created around the clock, just these forum posts and these pastes that everyone's making and, and try to utilize that data and, and, and reuse it instead of just going through the same. Cause I don't know if you go to the, like the Laravel support channel, it, it's, it's the same stuff every day all right. the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so, that's like, the, that's the world of customer service. Even even in the open source world, it's it's all the same. Yeah. So, like, I, I think it's it's a, and I tried to start this project where we get a whole bunch of developers together and we write a bunch of articles covering the topics that come up most frequently. And right. you know that that wasn't a failure, but the the core idea is is fundamentally flawed in that there's still a, an authority that has to overwatch the whole entire thing. Yeah. And so now, basically, you know, we kind of focus on removing the authority and put the power in the community's hands and let the community determine what this thing's going to become. And I, I, I really want to see what's going to happen here. Uh, yeah. That's, be good. That's really cool. I mean, one of the things I don't know if you recall, like we, um, on for Laravel version three, uh, Taylor was, he spent the first couple months at userscape just basically building the parts of version three that version two didn't have that we were going to need for all the stuff we we're going to do at userscape. So, uh, and during that time, uh, Eric and, and Taylor somewhat as well <clears throat> worked on the bundle site and it had GitHub login and we had always thought, okay, like we could expand it into more, you know, uh, that would be like the first step and it just never went farther than that. And then four came out and the bundle site was kind of worthless at that point anyway. So, um, that all kind of, you know, disappeared, but, um, but this is great. I mean, it's definitely going to be a huge resource, even just the original one, I still think is, you know, had a lot of good stuff on it, but this sounds over the top, so that should be pretty cool. Yeah, excited. Have you guys found the, like, you know, because you obviously spend a lot of time on, you know, Laravel and being part of the community, you're in IRC all the time, and you're building community sites and all these things, like, has that directly affected your guys' business, or has business kind of been, you know, is is your primary lead source still outside of Laravel, or is that a primary generator for you guys now? You know, I, I'm I'm not really taking on like new business at any point in time uh, anymore. Uh, it seems like the the word of mouth is basically the way that we operate now, as yeah. far as client client work. So for a long time, it was you know like I said, the code and screen uh, screencasts and tutorials and everything. Yeah. At some point in time, though, it became people who have talked to other people that we've worked for, and yeah. it stopped being you know, uh, other sources. So we still get, um, you know, a a lot of uh, client contracts, potential clients come in and say, hey, Um, but mostly we turn people away because we have uh, kind of worked with people and then, you know, determined, is this a good fit for us or not? Are are these clients, do they think the way that we think, do they want to make the same kind of 
applications that we want to make? Um, does does the type of work fit? Or does does the you know the money does the money work? And right. and all of these things. Uh, and, and eventually we ended up with a, a couple of clients that um, you know are good to work with, uh, have similar philosophies as us, have you know products that we can stand behind, like MomMeetMom.com, for example. Right. Uh, the moms, there, there's three moms that that are behind that whole thing. They are not only brilliant, but in their in their own individual ways, are kind of like really awesome at different fields. And mm. so, uh, it's they're really great to work with. We learn a lot from them, and we feel like we have the ability to make an impact. So if if like let's say somebody a client wants like a slide slider on their front page, you know, we can just say, hey, look. The, the evidence, the, the studies show that, you know, the sliders have like no engagement whatsoever. Let's, right. let's see what you're trying to do and, and find something that, you know, we can measure has an actual effect. Uh, yeah. and, you know, with our current clients, we have a, we have that kind of relationship and we can, you know, talk frankly and we can do all those things. So uh, it's, we've really curated kind of our, our clientele to the point where at this, at this point, we have enough recurring work with the people that we like to work with. That we're not really taking new new business, but what we are doing is like, you know, maybe every once in a while we subcontract something uh, to developers that we know and trust locally, like people I know in real life and see a couple times a week. Right. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I get to work with them, and, and we all like working together. Um, we learn a lot from working with each other, and, and sometimes we do, you know, like the the fancy agile type stuff and uh like code review is always a really fun exercise for everyone to go through so for me as a developer working with a, like a full-time designer working with another developer is a is a, a, a treat a pleasure um but yeah for for us it's at this point in time i think that we're really happy with our clients and you know if something happened if if like one of our clients decided that they were going out of business or going elsewhere or or, or whatever we might consider doing something else but at this point in time, uh, you know, it's hard to find what we have now. Yeah. So I'm not going to go out of my way to to wreck it. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. It sounds like it's nice when you get to that place where you just have a kind of trusted, you know, reliable customer base. And uh, yeah, sometimes the grass is always greener on the other side there. So yeah. At the end of 2012, I made the terrible mistake of taking too much client work, and so every single project I was involved with like lagged and it, it was just a, a, yeah. a horrible experience. So I, I learned a lot from that and it took me until halfway through 2013 to even fix it. Right. <laughs> and so, so I, I think I'd rather take less work and have that work be of more reliable nature. Yeah. Uh, just, just so that I don't end up overworked and under delivering to my clients. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how much, uh, you know, when you build custom applications for people, like just us building the couple apps we have, it's like it's like a, a tremendous amount of work. So whenever I think of, you know, people who are doing it on a consulting basis, uh, it's just incredible to think how much work goes into those and um, doing that kind of over and over, that, that kind of would scare the bejeebers out of me. I think <laughs> trying to estimate it or figure out how much time something's going to take. That whole kind of uh, world is, I find, kind of fascinating. Actually, I really, I really enjoy it. I, I love estimation and, and and figuring out you know what the budget of things is going to be. And I, I've been doing this for a, a really long time, and I feel pretty confident that I know like how much time it's going to take me to build something. Yeah. Um. 
And I've said this before, but I really think that a lot of times what happens is a developer will have a decent idea of, of what it'll actually take because, you know, they've made a lot of mistakes before and they're, they're ready to pad that number up in their head. Uh, but then they kind of go to their management and the management says, this number doesn't sound like people will accept it. Yeah, and right. so then they have to mm-hmm. say, okay, well, the, you know, I guess I'm going to come up with another number now. <laughs> and then <laughs> so when come up with the right number. Yeah. But when the, the yeah. management comes back and says you're over budget, and then it, the, suddenly it feels like the developer's fault because right. the developer was kind of pressured into coming up with a number that that they didn't honestly believe in. So I, I, I firmly, I, I really believe that a lot of developers are better at measuring uh, how much time something takes than they're given credit for. It's just that you know people aren't going to always accept the, the real cost up front, and sometimes you know you're going to pay the real costs. One way or another, and you know, the worse you make your developers feel, that's probably not going to help. That is, the, you know, one of those advantages of kind of being small and staying small is like, you know, you're in total control of that scenario. Obviously, if you become a bigger agency, then like the sales team's trying to sell, which means they're trying to, you know, yeah, there's like really a get lower numbers, right? <laughs> but the development team knows how long it takes to build things, and you know, the, each side's trying to pad in one way or the other because they know they're going to have a fight with the other side. <laughs> it kind of <laughs> gets, gets messy there. Unless you have a really, really good team. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. Like, I, I don't even want to grow as a team past, you know, like maybe three developers or something because at yeah. this point in time, it's just so easy for us. You know, I mean, not easy, but like relatively easy for us to, to make enough to pay our bills. Um, but once other people start coming on, you know, I, I, I get pulled out of development because I'm going to be the one who's interacting with these other developers. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of like super fast when it comes to, to coding stuff. Like I just like throw it down. Yeah. And, uh, when, when you, when I, when I come out of development, it's like, like development basically stops. And, uh, I, I, I don't even know what it would be like to, cause, cause you have to be able to work with the, the customers and, and the, you know, do discovery and do regular meetings just to make sure everybody's, you know, yeah. on the same page and everything. And I, it's scary thinking of somebody representing me in those meetings without me being there. <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about before we kind of like wrap it up? I want to thank you both very much for sponsoring Laricon EU. Um, <laughs> It's it's amazing you like how much like I, I will never look at sponsorship the same now that I think of that whole process because you just rely so so much on the sponsors to even yeah. be able to do anything. So uh selling tickets and whatnot is, is fine, but mostly you're not gonna get that money until after the event's over. Yeah. And yeah. so you're relying on sponsorship to be able to actually fund the initial like deposits and everything that goes into like Flying speakers out and taking care of all of that. Yeah, and That's uh, crazy. Yeah, so I, so thank you so much. Uh, we literally couldn't have run that conference without without your companies and your your support. Hey, no problem. It was yeah. it was great. A great excuse Happy to, to go to Amsterdam too, which was awesome. It's awesome to finally uh, get over there and check it out. So it was great, and uh, the venue was great. The whole thing was all yeah, top notch. So excellent good. job. I think we're gonna do it again. Uh oh, yeah. that an official announcement? Well, uh, we're we're already working on it. Uh, I, oh my goodness! Wow, I learned a, it, I, I learned a lesson 
the, the you know from starting because like we came out of uh, Laracon US in in late February, right? Like basically yeah. March. And we said to ourselves, if we're going to have another conference, we have to begin immediately. And even no matter how early we began, like all of the hotels were basically sold out in Amsterdam already. Because we had planned on the summer in Amsterdam. And it's like tourism central, right? (laughs) Yeah. So it became a very difficult situation for people, I think, because usually you go to a conference and you expect... Here's the conference, right? Here's the hotel. Done and done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, yeah, the, the hotel situation was pretty wild. Just even when I was getting it, it was like, whoa, there's really not a lot of hotels and or they're just all booked. So. Yeah, yeah, I think we ended up staying like 20 minutes away from Amsterdam. But it worked out. Got to yeah. see the countryside. So I think this time um, we'd like to do the same thing, but kind of focus on improving the areas that were obviously... A negative, and we did a survey of the attendees, mm-hmm. and we got back a lot of really good information. Um, I, I think that people want hands-on, like workshop type situations. So I think a lot of people would like like a three-day conference with. And this is not me announcing plans. I'm just kind of responding to the feedback um, right. with the same number of speakers, but with more like hands-on interactive, uh, like workshops, like sitting down and coding with with people like the speakers and people like Taylor, you know, um, who can kind of give some insight into things. I think that has so much value. Um, You know, who doesn't want to sit down with somebody who they really respect as a developer and just code with them for a while. And, you know, whenever anybody gets a chance to to do something like that, you come away like with a different perspective and it, it changes who you are. And I think a lot of, a lot of the value of conferences is exactly that. I think that's where, you know, you want to come back thinking about development a little differently or having new new tools in your, you know, toolkit or whatever. Yeah, that's like we've been kicking around kind of Laravel US. Just we, we actually haven't started any serious planning yet, which we probably should. But because um, I don't know that first one just beat the heck out of us. And then going going to yours, we're a little bit like, OK, like we, we got to get rolling again here. But uh, but yeah, trying to figure out maybe some different different things to do um that's just beyond the kind of you know speakers and the kind of standard thing so we don't we don't really have anything solid yet but we're trying to think of some different outside the box things maybe to to try to do to make it a little bit different and give people some uh more unique interactions and things of that nature you should do some lightning talks lightning to- actually i really like lightning talks that's that's a good idea we, we did i've talked about that a little bit already uh i'm there's a business of software conference i go to every year and they do lightning talks and those are usually really great. Like it's just a chance to get to meet some of the audience and get some of that knowledge that's in the audience out there. And, uh, also kind of breaks it up from the standard, you know, hour of somebody standing up there. It's just five minutes, you know, real quick and fast and yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, running a conference is something I, I know after you get done with it, you're like, Whoa, that's intense. Yeah. I, I don't want it to all come up at one. Cause like I didn't have any contacts in Amsterdam or anything related right. conferences and caterers, et cetera. And uh, so we had to kind of like start from scratch. And it, it almost feels like a shame if we don't make use of those contexts. <laughs> right, right. Now, now you kind of know how to do it. So. Right. So, you know, hopefully next year, you know, we uh, run a good venue, uh, get some hotels set up for people. 
Um, I should probably stop talking about this because there's not, it's not 100% <laughs> sure that everything's going to work out. But That's it. People are lining up already. We got a really good responses on the survey. I, I think like 98% of all attendees that were asked if they w- w- were going to show up again uh, said that they would. Like just straight up yes, like That's no good. no maybe anything. So I, I feel I feel overall pretty good about it. I definitely uh, know in my mind so many ways in which I'm going to improve this situation. Like for example, I'm going to get a host. I'm going to get somebody to host that's not me. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> because somebody who's actually like you know you know good at talk you know talking to people and all that stuff. Uh, I'm not like a super outgoing guy, so. Uh, I, I just have like a whole list of things I want to fix over last time, so it should be good if 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 we do it. No promises, right. but uh, risk. yeah, that's, cool. that's like an awkward thing to start talking about on a podcast. Like, <laughs> like oh, you know, we're we're going to do this big thing, but well, I'm always looking for ways to write off trips uh, to Europe, so let's keep them coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> All right, guys. Well, we better call it quits or else everybody's going to fall asleep in their car. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having us on. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. See you guys around. Okay, good. How do I sound? My sound. voice is my passport. Please verify. <laughs> Name One. that movie. <laughs>